So one of my favorite movies of the past decade is called Midnight in Paris. Uh, Owen Wilson plays a writer named Gill who goes to Paris to work on his first novel. And he's got this romantic imagination when it comes to Paris. It's his favorite city in the world. And he especially has a fondness for the idea of Paris in the 1920s, because that's when all of his idols, his heroes, lived and worked. Guys like Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald and Pablo Picasso. Well, in the movie, Gill is magically transported to Paris in the 1920s. And he meets these people and they become friends. They even help him with his book. And it's a total dream come true for him. He, he never wants to leave. But by the end of the movie, Gil has this, he comes to this harsh realization that there is no perfect time and place. That all of these people, these heroes of his, they're real people with real problems, with dysfunctions and depression and anxieties and insecurities. They're just as bad as he is. And the 1920s weren't all that great either, he comes to find out. At one point, he even says, these people don't have any antibiotics. He realizes that he had been living in denial of his own reality, and he comes to terms with the fact that he can't live in a dream anymore. Now, I think we all do that to ourselves. Chances are you have a time and place in your own imagination that was better, purer, maybe in your own memory, a time in your own life, in your own past that you wish you could go back to. We all have people that we esteem as heroes that we, we think we're just sure that they live a life better than us, more perfect than we do, whether that's because they're wealthy or beautiful or handsome or they have high achievement or great success. There's something about uh, people that we, that we esteem or maybe in our, in our sinful moments we even envy. But here's the truth, y'all. History is littered with people who have reached the mountaintops of life be it wealth, fame, beauty, or whatever. And when they got to the top of the mountain, they found out there was nothing there for them. And anybody who's honest will tell the truth about that. Or they got to that mountaintop, they achieved something great in the eyes of people, and yet they only realized that there was more mountain left to climb, someone else that they esteemed or that they envied who was even further ahead. And they realized that in all their pursuits and all their achievements that there was really nothing there for them, that it was empty. You know, there's a person like that, not just in pop culture, but here in our Bible. A man named Solomon. A man who achieved more than anybody who had ever come before him and yet found in, in the end that it, was, that it was empty. And he wrote an entire book about it, a book called Ecclesiastes. It's interesting. Uh, Ecclesiastes, if you've never really read it, studied it, it's one of the more troubling books in the Bible. It's one of the more troubling books that anybody's ever written because it's full of cynicism and what we call disillusionment with the world. In fact, in the early church, in, in the early uh, hundreds AD, when, when the church was, was making some decisions about what was in and out of the Bible, there were people who wanted Ecclesiastes out because of the content, because of what's in it. They didn't think it belonged. So often, I think, when we come to the Bible, at least for me, I open my Bible, and I have this expectation of encouragement and affirmation and divine love. There's a lot of that stuff in there, but we don't find that, or at least don't find a whole lot of it right here. What we find in Ecclesiastes is cynicism about the world. But y'all, it's such a great treasure. It's such a necessary book for us. It's God's word. And what Solomon does for us so brilliantly, what we're gonna spend about four weeks looking at, Solomon, he puts on the philosopher's hat here, 
and he pulls back the curtain on the world that we live in. Solomon shows us the world for what it really is, and he forces us to come to terms with reality. We cannot live in a dream. We cannot live in our romantic imaginations. We've got to face facts. We've got to face the truth, and Solomon does that for us right here. He, he really addresses some of life's biggest questions in the process. So we're just going to start off with the biggest one today. Everything else that we'll look at the following three weeks is going to kind of filter down from this. The biggest question of life Solomon addresses in chapter one is the question of meaning. What is the meaning of life? Does life have meaning outside of you and me individually? Is there something greater than us that we're meant to discover and align ourselves with? Everybody asks that question. Now, I don't know how you would answer the question, what is the meaning of life? But you probably wouldn't answer it like Solomon does. I want you to look at chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes in verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Maybe your translation uses the word futility, or maybe it translates it like this. Meaningless, meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. So there's nowhere to go but up. That's the good news here as we get started, okay? Hey, y'all, how can Solomon say this? He tells us in verse 1 who he is. He's the king in Jerusalem. He's the son of David. He's a worshiper of God. How can he have such a cynical, depressing view of life? Has Solomon lost his faith? Is he going through some sort of existential crisis? What's going on here that would bring him to this conclusion? Well, he tells us in verse 3. He says, what advantage does man have in all his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Uh, We just read a very important phrase in verse 3. I'm going to state it for you again. It's just three little words. Under the sun. Very important. It shows up about 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. What advantage does a person have in all his work which is done under the sun. Now that right there, that phrase, that is Solomon's way of describing a world without God. A world where God is either non-existent or God is simply out on the margins somewhere, on the sidelines, separated out from real life. So under the sun, when Solomon uses that term, that implies that this world right here, this world, is all there is. Or it's at least all we can know. What we can see and feel and take in with our senses. Uh, Solomon wouldn't have had this word. The word didn't exist back then. But the word we would use for this mindset is secular or secularism. Uh, That word secular comes from the Latin root, which actually means the present, this age, this world. Now, secularism does not say that God doesn't exist necessarily. God may exist. There may be an afterlife. But we can't know for sure and therefore, only what we know can we take and, hold, and put our arms around. Only what we can see, only what, what is in this world. The only thing that matters is this life and the things that we can perceive and experience here and now. That's the mentality of life under the sun. And this is the key to understanding the whole book. If you read through each chapter of Ecclesiastes, you have to understand that Solomon is looking at life purely on its own terms. If we remove God from the picture... Without regard for God, this is what we're left with. Now, you may say, you're in church, you say, I believe in God, this doesn't apply to me. But Solomon is not trying to convince us that God exists. Solomon probably didn't know a single atheist. I'm not sure any atheist even existed back then. Solomon's not trying to prove God's existence. What Solomon is dealing with is this. Not, is God out there? 
He assumes God is out there. The question is, have we built our lives on God? So if you say, I believe in God, great. But the greater question, the deeper question, the more necessary question is, have we built our lives on him? Or are we seeking our meaning for life in things that are under the sun? Maybe things like family or work or money or beauty or pleasure or human achievement, things that by themselves are not necessarily bad things, they're not evil things, but if we seek our meaning in those things, Solomon wants to pull the curtain back on the reality here. If we're rooting ourselves in this world, Solomon wants to show us what it really is. And he says up front, meaningless. All is meaningless. Now, what's the problem that he wants to open us up to here? Because it's one thing to say it's all vanity, but he's got to prove his point, right? He's got to show us what he means. Well, he starts in verse 4. How is it that life under the sun is meaningless? And you notice there's in verse 4, he says, A generation comes and a generation goes. People are born, people die, but the earth remains forever. And Solomon says that the sun rises and the sun sets. He says that the wind blows this direction Then it blows another direction, and it cycles back and blows again. He says, the rivers flow into the sea, and yet the sea is never full. You notice what he's doing here? He's pointing to the cycles of nature as a way of showing us how the world operates. The world uh, runs in its cycle and its seasons, and, and Solomon's point is that it really has nothing to do with us, and we have nothing to do with it. That the world goes on with or without us. And you see his conclusion in verse 8. He says, all things are wearisome, exhausting. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. All right, where does this hit us right now? Uh, I don't have to know you well to know this is true. This is true for everybody. Every single person in our heart, we desire to matter. We have to matter. We have to have a life that has some significance and purpose and value and meaning to it. That's what gets us out of bed in the morning. Now, we may all find different ways to try and matter and find our meaning, but all of us have to have it. We're meaning-making machines. We can't live without it. But Solomon says this is a wearisome task. This wears us out. Why? Just look at the world. Look at nature. We all know, if we're honest, we know deep down the world is going to go on with or without us. We desire to matter in this world, but the truth is the sun is going to rise and set with or without me. The wind is going to blow the direction it blows with or without you. Your presence has nothing to do with it. So you want your life, I want my life to matter in this world, but the world itself doesn't care. As far as biology is concerned, there's trees, there's slugs, there's human beings. We all end up the same. We all end up the same. The world doesn't care. We're here today, we're gone tomorrow. One generation comes, another goes, but the earth remains, Solomon says. Leo Tolstoy was a very famous Russian novelist. Here's the conclusion he came to. He said, today or tomorrow, sickness and death will come to those I love or to me. Nothing will remain but stench and worms. Sooner or later, my affairs, whatever they may be, will be forgotten, and I shall not exist. Then why go on making any effort? That was Tolstoy's perspective. Now, that's depressing. I realize how depressing that is. But he's right. No matter how hard we try to make our lives matter, our fate ultimately is the same. No matter what we put into life, 
We never get it all back out. That's why Solomon says the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. No matter what you put in, the earth is, is like a vacuum. It will suck it in and it will not give it all back. That's how life works. So as Solomon says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing. You're never going to get back out of it what you put in. The ear is, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will be. Now at this point, under the sun, Solomon says, if we're willing to recognize our place in the world, we should be exhausted at the thought of the weariness, the wearisome nature of all our pursuits that no matter how much we put in, we'll never get it back out. No matter how hard we work and try and strive, we'll never produce anything that ultimately can last apart from God. Now, a person may say, and this is our, this is our present culture, okay, well, I, yeah, okay, life may not have objective meaning outside of me, but I can still have a meaningful life. I'll just decide what matters to me. I can still be happy. I can still make a difference. I can still do good in this world. Even if it doesn't make a difference in the long run, it doesn't matter. I can still have meaning in my life. That's, that's what the, the larger culture believes and pursues. But Solomon says that's a dead end too. Y'all look at verse 11. He says, There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the later things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Uh, I, I made this comment several weeks ago. Most people don't know their great-grandparents' names. You can do a little mental searching on your own right now. Maybe some of y'all do. Most people don't. That means that my great-grandchildren, should I have them, they won't know my name, let alone anything about me, anything I did. Not even my name. And y'all, the, the, the sad truth is that 99.9999% of the whole world will never even know I existed at all. And so the question of meaning, can I have a meaningful life? Can you have a meaningful life on your own terms as you define it? Well, yeah, okay, I guess so, in your own mind, but for how long? Who's going to remain? In a hundred years, none of us are going to be here. All new people in a hundred years. Who's going to remember Who's going to value and affirm that meaning? What if in a hundred years the thing I gave my life to has been discredited and I'm looked down on for how I chose to live? It, it was meaningful to me, but now I'm laughed at in future generations. Who knows? We won't be here and no one will be around to remember us. The truth is, and you know what's interesting? We said this a minute ago. We actually sang this. I had never thought of this part of Amazing Grace before. The earth will soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. Y'all, that's a, uh, you know, if you, if you go to the world of science, that's what we actually believe, that at some point, whether it be in a million years or a billion years or some point in the future, the sun will cool and will no longer give heat necessary for life on earth. All life will die, biological life will just expire, and there will be nothing. Just blackness, nothing, void, nothing. And all of the time that existed before human life on earth and all the time now, the dead time that's going to exist after will have been just a little blip on the radar. And that means that nothing you do matters at all. Whether you live a good life or a bad life, no one will be around to remember it. Can you have meaning in your life now? Well, you can try, but for how long? And what difference will it make in the long run? Do you see why Solomon is so adamant on pulling the curtain back here? 
You see, this, this was Tolstoy's problem. Tolstoy was just echoing Solomon. On the surface, he had a life that appeared very successful, very meaningful, but it was all being accomplished under the sun. So what's it going to amount to in the end? That's why Tolstoy says, why go on making the effort? If in the end, I'll just die and be forgotten. Who's going to be around to remember? If God is absent in all of this, then nothing we do matters at all. And that you don't have to be religious to see that. Nothing we do matters at all. Nothing I do makes any difference. And that brings Solomon to his first conclusion. Y'all, this is, y'all smile a little bit, okay? I know, I know this is hard, hard stuff. Right? It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Don't leave. This brings Solomon to his first conclusion in verse uh, 12. Chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. To seek life, meaning, value, purpose, happiness under the sun, Solomon coins a term. He says it's like chasing the wind. It's a great phrase. See, here's the truth about the wind. You can feel the wind. It's real. You know it's there, but try to catch it. Try to catch up to it. Try to harness it and hold on to it. That's Solomon's point. You can't. This world is real. Our experiences are real. They're valid. But try holding on. Try to outrun suffering. Try to outlive death. Try to create meaning in a world that doesn't care if you're a tree or a slug or a human being. You can't. Solomon said earlier, this is a wearisome thought, it's exhausting, but here he goes a step further. He says it's grievous. It creates grief in our heart because we, the more we consider life on its own terms under the sun, the more despairing we'll become. It's just an endless pursuit of chasing the wind. And if that doesn't cause grief to our hearts... Solomon would say, we're not being honest with ourselves. We're living in denial. We're living in a romantic imagination about the way the world is or the way the world ought to be. And we're not facing facts that under the sun, there's nothing here for us ultimately. And the only way to get by is to live in denial of it. Tolstoy went on to say that only if one is intoxicated can he live. To the sober-minded, they see that life is a fraud and a stupid fraud at that. Tolstoy. But we don't really believe that, do we? If you believe that, you probably wouldn't be here wasting the few minutes you have left on the earth, okay? We don't really believe that life only takes place and the content of this earth is all there is. It's not just under the sun. If we wanted to borrow Solomon's terminology, we might say, we believe that there is life beyond the sun, above the sun. There is more to life than simply what we experience through our senses and what we can get our arms and hands around in the moment. Yes, we believe in God, but I want to encourage you in this. If you believe in God, that's good, but that's not enough. You can believe in God. I can believe in God and yet still try to root my meaning and my sense of self in this world. A lot of people do it. It's not enough to believe in God. Remember what Solomon's desire, his point here is? is not mere belief, but dependence, commitment. He wants us to build our lives on God. And we have the opportunity to do that as those who follow Jesus. Each and every day we wake up and we can consciously decide to live beyond 
the Son. The answer to all of this in terms of meaning, I find it so helpful, the words of Jesus. I'm going to put these on the screen for you. This is Matthew chapter 16. Very famous thing Jesus said about discipleship, about what it means to follow him. Let me move out of the way. This is Matthew 16, beginning in verse 24. Jesus speaks to his disciples. He's speaking to us. He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will man give in exchange for his soul? Um, What Jesus commands us here is outrageously difficult. Deny yourself, take up your cross, that's, that's a statement of suffering, and follow me. Lose your life for my sake. Why would Jesus come along and give such confining terms? Why so much cost? Why so much difficulty and sacrifice? Jesus answers that question in the statement we just read. And he asks a question of us. It's a rhetorical question. He says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Y'all remember what Solomon has already told us. It is vain and meaningless to try to gain, to try to achieve what is under the sun, to make temporary things your treasure in life Solomon says it's a total dead end. It's a fraud. And you don't have to be a religious person to see it. You just have to think through the implications of our reality. It's a simple, bare fact of life. But Jesus shows us why. Why is it a fraud? And the answer is not purely biological or environmental. The answer is deeper than that. Jesus says if you make the world your treasure, you forfeit your what? Your soul. That's why life under the sun is a fraud. That's why it's all vanity, futility, meaningless. Because the forfeiture of your soul to live for what is under the sun is to exchange your soul in the process. In which case, you lose infinitely more than you can ever gain. No matter what you can accrue, no matter how much approval and applause you can find on this side of things, you lose infinitely more if you lose your soul in the process. Jesus says you lose your very life. And see, when we ask this question, what is the meaning of life? What we're really asking is, uh, where is salvation found? Now, that's a religious term, of course. But that's the question ultimately everybody is asking because salvation is deliverance from despair. And everybody wants to know how to find salvation. How can we know that life matters, that I matter, that this world is not all there is, that that in this short life that we live that we can have true and lasting purpose? How can we find meaning that transcends only what we see and feel in the moment? Everybody wants to know the answer to those questions. That's a question of salvation. Everybody needs salvation. But this is the great divide that Solomon and Jesus create for us here. This is what we have to see. In order to have salvation under the sun, the only option you have is to gain the world. I'm using Solomon's and Jesus' terms. If you want to have salvation under the sun, you have to gain the world to find it. And we have a million different ways of doing that. Let me mention just a few of 
saving ourselves, of justifying ourselves. For some of it, it is the pursuit of wealth or fame or applause or approval. For some of us, we try to justify ourselves by building the right house in the right kind of neighborhood and sending our kids to the right kind of school and taking the right kind of vacations. For some people, we seek our salvation through social media, through the accrual of followers and likes. If I can just get people to like what I say, if I can just get people to think I'm funny, then I'll be somebody. For some, we seek our salvation through marriage and family. If I can just be a good husband, if I can just be a good father, then I'll have lived a meaningful life. Some people look to work for their salvation, for the approval and the promotion that they can find from a career. We can seek our salvation, our justification. We can seek it through things as simple as music and video games and sports and hobbies and food and sex and politics and social causes. You can fill the gap with anything you want. You can even fill it with religion and morality that we can seek to justify ourselves by being good and moral, faithful people. And as long as I go to church and do right, then I'm somebody. But the point is clear. If anything under the sun becomes our salvation, becomes our treasure, our meaning, then we're trying to gain our identity by gaining the world. Jesus says you can't without forfeiting something eternally significant in the process, without forfeiting the one necessary thing about you. You can't gain the world without losing your soul. Solomon says on its own terms it doesn't work. If you just look at the bare facts of nature and reality, it's an exhausting and grievous and empty task. Jesus goes even a step further. He says it's not just empty, it's costly because of what you have to give up to have it. Gain the whole world, lose the one most significant thing there is about you, your very soul. Y'all, that's why Jesus gives us a totally alien view of salvation. Something that human beings could have never concocted. We would have never come up with this. That Jesus comes along and says, if you want life, you don't get there through self-fulfillment. It comes through self-denial. It doesn't come through saving your life by gaining the world. You have to lose your life. For my sake, Jesus says, then you will find it. Because gaining the world requires that you forfeit your soul. Jesus did not come to simply add something into the mix of the rest of what you've got going on in your life. Adding in would do us no good. Jesus did not come just to give you a better, stronger sense of meaning for life. Jesus says, if I come into your life, I've got to strip away your attachments, your lesser loves and idolatries. I've got to strip away your sin. Jesus did not come to add to. Initially, he came to strip away. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to be willing to suffer a cross You've got to lose your life for my sake. You've got to come under my lordship. That seems, I mentioned a minute ago, it seems so confining and so sacrificial and so costly, but Jesus says that's the only way to find life. And that's how we come to the conclusion that salvation, real salvation, the Christian understanding of salvation, requires of us no work. And this is good news. If all of our efforts, if all of the world's attachments, if everything has to get stripped away in order for us to be saved, then that means we can offer nothing to God that he needs from us. Salvation is a gift that we receive. What that means for you right now is that there's nothing for you to gain 
by working. There's no earning. There's no striving. There's no proving of yourself. Nothing of your part that you bring to the table. Your salvation in Jesus Christ is a gift of grace through his death and resurrection, through his work on your behalf. What you gain, you gain by receiving, not by achieving. And that is good news. That's why we call it the gospel. It's good news. A proclamation of what has been done on your behalf, not what you must do in order to be somebody, in order to matter. And y'all, the gift of Jesus is an inexhaustible gift. It's not one that we have to continue to chase like the wind. It's one that is given once and for all. Jesus said, if you drink of the water that I give you, you will never thirst again. But the water I give will become in you a well of water, springing up to eternal life. The gift that continues to give now and forever. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, we're going to, we're going to talk about the implications of this, of how we find our meaning, not in things like money and pleasure and wisdom and work, the things that Solomon teases out for us, in the coming chapters. We're going to talk about the specifics, yes, but for now I just want us to think high-level view of where we find our meaning, of where we're rooting ourselves. If you say, I believe in God, that's good, but that's not enough. Only if you depend on God through his son Jesus Christ are you going to have a meaning that can't be destroyed, that can't be lost, that doesn't die with you when you perish. And so let me give, let, let's just, real quick, little personal inventory here. I want to ask you a couple of questions. You may say, this, is, this doesn't apply to me. I, I love God. I love Jesus. I'm not living under the sun. But y'all just think about it now. I'm going to ask a couple of questions. These seem random. They're not. Are you a person prone to cynicism? Are you a person prone to complain? Do you complain a lot? If you do, it's because you're aching over the reality that this life is not sufficient. This life is not good enough. You wish it was, but it's not, so you complain about it. So do I. Do you find yourself envying others over what they have? Are you always looking around at what other people have? If you are, it's because you're trying to root yourself under the sun, even if just a little bit. I do it too. Do you feel unsatisfied in your work? That's part of life. That's natural. That's because we're under the sun, in a sense. We're under a curse. Do you ever feel poorer than you actually are? Do you ever think, I have no money, when in reality you're doing okay? Do you ever struggle to see what difference your life is making, what difference your, your, your efforts are making? Do you, are you always chasing the next good uh, feeling or the next good product or the next good experience, always seeking something, something, something to fill a void? Y'all, we, we, we are hardwired to find our meaning, to root our identity here. I wake up every morning with that desire. It's in me. It's, I know it's in you too. But we're not built merely for this world. There is a life beyond the sun, above the sun, that Jesus Christ has given to us. We need Ecclesiastes. We need Solomon to do what he does here and pull back the curtain of our vanity of life under the sun. If I'm trying to root my life here and now, the only thing I'm going to be left with in the end is a mirror, is me. And eventually I won't even have that. I'll be dead and buried and forgotten. So we don't just need Solomon. More and above, and above that, we need Jesus. We need hope. Solomon can't give us hope. Solomon can prevent, present truth. But the hope that we have is in a life that is beyond the sun. And that's what Jesus gives to us, y'all. Jesus, I mentioned this and I'll say it one more time. Jesus did not come to add meaning to your life. 
If that's all Jesus came to do, then he was a colossal failure. You don't need more and better meaning. You need salvation, and so do I. Jesus came to give you life itself. Not just a better life or not a better outlook on life, but life itself, life with God, life as a child of God through the forgiveness of our sins by his grace. That's what he came to give us. And so when Solomon says, listen, when Solomon says, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing, we know that feeling. You live in the real world just like I do. We know what he means. But in Christ, we have this great promise. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Things which eye has not seen, things which ear has not heard, things which have not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. There is life beyond the sun. That's where our meaning is found. But that's, that's just icing on the cake. Life beyond the sun means that we have life indeed. Things we can't see, things we can't take in, things we can't even imagine in our own hearts. God has prepared for us glory because we have loved him in response to what he's given us in Jesus Christ. Let's thank him for that. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Father, we, we recognize this morning a very, very heavy truth. And I pray that we're not blind to it, that we don't try to ignore it, that we don't want to live intoxicated to it. That, Lord, if you're not, if you're not, if we're just, if I'm just talking to the ceiling right now, then this right here is as good as it's ever going to get. And the scripture tells us, Solomon affirms this, just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Just try to squeeze as much pleasure out of this life as we possibly can, because otherwise there's nothing for us. Father, thank you that that is not true. Thank you that in Jesus Christ, we have a hope and a truth and a grace beyond the Son that, that, that we, can act, we can enjoy this life for what it is because this is not as good as it's going to get for us. That we can do good in this life and trust that it will have a, an eternal significance about it because this life is not all there is. And Father, I pray this, this morning that as we, I, I hope we have a good sense, a deep sense of the despair of the alternative, that it would make us more and more and deeply appreciate the reality that we now stand in, that we are children of the Heavenly Father, God Almighty, who loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for all our sins. And we now have a hope that is secure, a hope that is indestructible, and we have meaning added in. Thank you for it. But Lord, above all, we thank you for life itself. Life itself, given to us as a gift in Jesus. Father, would you, would you help us this morning to, to think soberly about this precious gift, that it might make us more serious about commitment to you, that we would see the terms of Jesus, self-denial, take up a cross, follow him, lose our lives, and we would not bristle at that and say, why so costly? But that instead we would recognize what we lose if we don't. That if, if we choose, Lord, to follow our base instincts, if we choose to follow the prevailing culture, if we choose to follow the trail of money or I mean, just anything else we might put in that void, that we lose the only thing that matters eternally, our very soul. 
that we would gladly follow Jesus, that we would gladly um, deny ourselves if it means that we gain him. Uh, Lord, I need this this morning. I trust we all do. Help us. Help us to see life for what it really is, but that that would not lead us into despair, but that it would uh, um, amplify our hope. Amplify our hope. And, and motivate us, Lord, to make, to make your grace known to others who do not know what it is to hope in Christ. Lord, we need Solomon. We thank you for him. But we thank you all the more for Jesus, who is our Savior. And that, Lord, that we can rest on him. And, Lord, that we know our, our future is incredibly bright because of what we have in our Lord and Savior. So it's in his name we thank you. Amen.